Hello, welcome back to another episode of Bloodthirsty Times. I am your host, Octavio. And I'm Emily. And it's a boy, Will. Today, we are heading over to China. 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 To talk about an era of history that more than any other topic we have ever covered before is really the definition of joining us in these bloodthirsty times. do on a small scale what governments do on a large one they are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times hey we're back it's been a while it has a couple couple weeks it legit couple weeks months it feels like a long, long time. I think it's yeah. six, Maybe it's been seven a- weeks. <clears throat> Halloween, no. right? Halloween, yeah. Halloween. Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. All right. But, if you paid attention to our social media, you know that uh, we are coming to an end. This is, uh, we have this episode and one more planned, and that's it. That's the end of Bloodthirsty Times. It's all she wrote. Yeah. First Richard with the sad violin music. Oh, he got fired uh, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, can <laughs> we can keep him on retainer for the the for two months. Six, we didn't weeks, record. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now he's so, done. As much fun as it's been, and we've learned a lot. This has been t- pretty much two years of doing this, and I'd like to think we learned we learned a lot, and we had uh, yeah. we had some good times. You know, yeah. We grew. We grew together. These two years. <laughs> yeah, and uh, be- I think because of that, we also have another announcement. Uh, yes, Bloodthirsty Times is coming to an end. However, we enjoy doing this so much that we are just pretty much changing formats and heading in a different direction together. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's probably the most appropriate way to put it. Yeah, we're just changing formats into... Um, uh, you'll see. But we have a new project coming up coming early next year. Uh, we're still yeah. putting it together. Uh, so look for that next year. Um, we'll probably start putting the socials out on that so you can start following it and stay tuned for whenever we drop at the show yeah. um but yeah we, we we actually do just in, we enjoy podcasting and it's just uh for for us personally this deep dive every week reading two three books to uh get this done we have kids jobs you know it's just it became a little bit too much and it, it's just um so we're just going to change the way we do things and have a more relaxed style i guess how would you yeah. guys put it uh open open forum Ish. Not so much scripted. Yeah, it's not. It's not going to be as heavily scripted, as heavily researched as this. It's going to be more of a fun topic based. I don't know. You'll just have to see when it comes out. I mean, but there yeah, will still yeah. be like like sad and serious shit. Like, oh yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not going to be all. all going to be funny. Murder and mayhem all the time. It might be mayhem yeah. all the time, but not murder. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but it just won't be as uh, strict of a narrative, I guess. Yeah, we won't be. Sh- 
shoehorned into this box. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. into the shoe. And shoehorned I'm going to do my shoe. best mm-hmm. to stop cussing as much. Oh, fuck up. <laughs> I was told I had to. Well, I mean, oh. this show's fine. I think the next show we're going to try to cut it down a little bit at least. But anyways, not the point. Uh, yeah. So sad news, good news. Yeah. Bloodthirsty we're, like the, we're like the phoenix. <laughs> we will that. rise in the, from the ashes. We, we rise. rise. But anyways, uh, today's episode is um, her, horrendous. I don't know what other way to put this. It is going to be our gnarliest episode by far. Um, so just from the get-go, uh, trigger warnings all around. This is a, if you don't know much about what happened during World War II, uh, I would buckle up because holy shit is all I can say. So to, to start out, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say today is going to be my favorite type of episode. And that means today will be a straight up history lesson. You know, I love doing those like we did with Roanoke and a couple others, but I just love doing these. So let me start by asking my two co-hosts here. What do you guys know about the Japanese specifically in relation to World War II? Uh, Pearl Harbor. Correct. Yeah, that happened. Okay. <clears throat> um, internment camps. On the American side, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Emily, That's it. Anything? I was going to say Pearl Harbor and <laughs> suicide bombers. They did oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Zeros, and, Japanese and, zeros. That happened. Yeah. yeah. Any anything that maybe the Americans dropped on them? Oh, uh, there's a couple. Uh, maybe like two little boys and a fat yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. What were they? Oh yeah, nuclear bombs. Oh what? yeah, those those things. Yeah. <clears throat> Why the did Americans you call them nuclear bombs? Boys yeah, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Because that's what they were called. Little boy dropped on Nagasaki, and fat man dropped on Hiroshima. Who the fuck came up with those names? The military, the military. duh. That's what they were That's called. Don't get mad at me. That's what they're called. Out of all of the things, this is this is what we went with as an uh, as a mm-hmm. consensus well, in the military. Well, one was we bigger like, than the other, so one yeah, was a fat yeah, man was, and the other was a little oh boy. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. There's so many. Clearly, that was the only option. Right. It, I guess it was, but because that's what they were called. That's just history. I don't know. Take it up with Uncle Sam. I don't know what to tell you. But see, that's the problem here. Think about what you guys just listed. Uh, yes, in Pearl Harbor, they were the aggressors. They attacked. Um, but in Japanese internment camps, the U.S. took American citizens and because they looked Japanese, put them into internment camps. That's sad. They dropped uh, two nuclear bombs on Japan. That's sad. That's a super sad thing that happened to the Japanese. They were victims, right? No, no, the fuck they weren't. No? God damn it, no, they weren't. No. So a lot of people don't really know this, but Japan was a super... I can't, I can't uh, say this enough, a super aggressive country to every Asian country near them. And what it basically comes down to is the same idea that white Americans had in the late 1800s. And that idea is what we have whitewashed as manifest destiny. We've talked about this before. You know, uh, I think it was actually during our Borden, Lizzie Borden episode, how uh, manifest destiny, if you weren't a white American specifically, not like just white, but a white American, then you weren't really worth shit. And it was um, white Americans whose destiny it was to inherit lands from coast to coast. You know, that was their God sent mission. And essentially, that's what the Japanese had as well. The Japanese thought they were the, actually almost everybody, they were the superior race. Ah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chinese, Korean, and even Russian lands were meant to be conquered by the Japanese. And this thought led to the deaths of over 10 million Chinese people over the course of about 14 years. Oh, shit. Yeah, the, they don't, yeah, they don't talk about that in history books. They do not talking. talk I mean, about this. Maybe I 
I skipped that uh, chapter. But no, it's really not this. taught. Uh, the, the books that I read, which I'll cover in a little bit, they even mentioned that like in the scan of like over 50 World War II books, I think there's like maybe four chapters total about the Chinese um, death toll and all this. Uh, what we're about to talk about in like over 50 um, American like history books, like talk oh, to children and stuff like that. So isn't it like not mentioned or talked about really much? I a lot because of the references that are made and how it's like worded, I guess, because it's not really. No, we, I don't want to, I don't want to give away the whole farm here, but I will talk about the end. The U S had a lot to do with um, us not knowing about it along with a few other things I will get into. But um, yeah, it was essentially just swept under the rug for, for the, the easy way to say it. Well, I mean, it doesn't that. make us look good. So why would they? No, no, that's the thing. No one it. knows that we. No one knows that we did this. Like it's not like like we know. Do you guys know what Operation Paperclip is at all? Yes. What's yeah, Operation I mean, I've heard about it from you, but like I don't, I don't. Okay, so Operation Paperclip is you know how the we talk about this all the time. The the Nazis. What do they do to the, to the Germans? I mean, to the to the Jewish people, the Nazis. Like, what do they we know about them? them? Kill yeah. them. We know a ton about them, right? We know a yes. ton about what the Nazis did. We know about the SS soldiers. Everyone we know knows who Ian Frank is. Himmel and um, what's that guy's name who uh, who experimented on all of them? I even forgot his name. But so we know what they did to the Jewish people, uh, and this is because uh, they were held accountable through trials, through the Nuremberg trials. Um, but what happened with this is that Operation Paperclip was the Americans obtained those scientists who did the. Um, experiments and learned and we took them in and that's how it created the uh, some of the warfare we have you know that's pretty much the start of the cold war is having this information keeping it away from the russians we know about that that's that everyone fucking knows about go to fucking history channel right now and you'll watch 14 hours of world war ii shit we know a lot about it because of the nazis the same thing happened with the japanese but no one talks about it we did the same thing we took japanese scientists that did this shit gave them immunity and they gave us information so we just don't talk about it. What's that called again? The the Nazi one is Operation Paperclip. No, like when you like give immunity for information, but they're like terrible fucking people. I don't know I what, what the word, the is word for I'm that. talking about. Like not espionage. That wasn't what I was going with, but I can't remember. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Free pass. Yeah. You no, know, like the the act <laughs> of giving information as like a it is immunity, but like there's, I'm thinking of like another term for like war crime type things. I don't know if there's, or I don't different know the word countries, like, like the whole, you know, swap of Brittany Griner and old fella. I can't remember what that's called. Uh, Yankee swap. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. I don't know what it is. So most of the time when Kansas we Kansas City of, shuffle. I don't know. That is, that was, <laughs> that's definitely what happened here. The old Kansas City shuffle. The old Kansas City shuffle. <laughs> So most of the time when we think of wartime atrocities during World War II, we immediately think of the Nazis and the Holocaust. And obviously when 6 million people are brutally murdered, it's going to be a big deal, right? And it is. So now the manner of Chinese deaths is why we are talking about this. Because it's not like these were just casualties of war. You know, like they were dropped bombs, you know, people were shot. There was that, but that's not just it. And even if it was just that, 10 million people is an absurd amount of casualties. And uh, this actually, this whole thing has been dubbed the Forgotten Holocaust because we know all about the Jewish Holocaust, but we never talk about the Chinese Holocaust. And that's why the Forgotten Holocaust. So for today's story, I use two books. The first is titled The Rape of Nanking by Iris Chang. 
And the second book is Japanese Infamous Unit 731 by Hal Gold. And if you listen to these books, it's almost 18 hours of information. So this episode is going to be longer than any other episode, I think, and uh, that we've ever done. But it's going to be just a glimpse of the atrocities committed by the Japanese. There's no way that I could fit all the horrible shit, nor do I want to. I actually try to condense the horrible parts as much as possible, but there's, I'm still going to tell you about them. Yeah. <clears throat> still got to know so, about it. I'm just going to yeah. make it a little more PG-13. No, not really. Just going to try to talk, 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 through, talk through it quickly is what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to uh, like... Yeah, we're not going to harp on it too much. Um, so uh-huh. to tell, yeah, to tell the story of how so many Chinese people perished at the hands of the Japanese, we have to go back to the start of World War II. Now, I have a second question for you guys: When did World War II start? Yeah, it's not our World War II. So, <clears throat> 1937. Yeah, I think it's Some 39. No, 1937. Did this start? Well, a lot of people, like Americans, if you ask them, it's like World War II was December 7th, 1941, with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. That's yeah, when that was, we, that's got, when we involved. got involved. Yeah. yeah, that's when we it got was involved. 1937 of what, is, what I was referring to. Well, that, I think I think I'm going to go over it. But see, but I was saying is that that's where a lot of the confusion comes from. Is as Americans, like I said, World War II started when Japanese bombed us on December 7th, 1941. Europeans dated from September 1st, 1939, during the Blitzkrieg assault on Poland. Africans have a start date even earlier when Mussolini invaded Ethiopia in 1935. However, Asians saw the start of the war in 1931 when the Japanese invaded and subsequently occupied Manchuria. They had already had a decade of World War II before the Americans even got involved. So they just kept like compounding and adding people to it. And that's yep. why it was called more that. Like, more initially, though, what was it called? Uh, it was called the Sino-Japanese War initially. Okay. So now to explain why Japan invaded China at all, we have to go back even further to when Bushido ran Japan. Because from what I can tell... Japan has always been kind of a warring nation, even if it was among the separate rulers within Japan. Like even there, like it was like a civil war all the time before they had outliers of enemies. And everyone was big and bad and would literally rather unalive themselves than admit defeat. I mean, even during the World War II, most other countries had one POW for every three soldiers, right? However, the Japanese had one POW for every 120 soldiers. Damn. So... Out of 121 Japanese soldiers, 120 would rather die than be captive. That's That That's says a lot so about their mentality. Bad. So these thoughts permeated even their foreign policy, and they flat refused to trade with Western nations. You know, the whole Iron Curtain and everything. That is, until the American military, um, led by Millard Fillmore, they, uh, they went and carried their, they brought out their big stick. You guys ever hear that? Carrying a big stick? Walk softly and carry a big stick. Is that Theo yeah. Roosevelt? Yeah. That, well, this is Miller Fillmore, so I don't know if it was that, but this is the same concept, and this was in 1852. Yeah. I so think he coined the term, but yeah. It's yeah. the same mentality, but yes. So walk, uh, talk softly, carry a big stick, or what is it? Walk softly walk, and carry walk, a big walk. stick. Yeah. So, you know, the Americans, in, even in 1852, they did that. They brought out their big stick and showed their force and much more advanced military force by sailing over to Japan in their fancy and powerful steam-powered warships. Because Japan didn't have any of that. They then got off those ships, wielding pistols and swords, and marched into town until they found the leaders. And basically, the Japanese were voluntold 
to open up trade to the West because, you know, we could e- easily fuck you guys up. You know what I mean? I mean, look, look at that guy over there. He still has a sword made out of bone. I have a pistol. What are you going to do? You know, so they were uh, bullied, essentially, into uh, opening up the Japanese market and trade. And so at this point, it's 1852. And, you know, they weren't happy about it, but the Japanese were like, I bet, right? But secretly, they were plotting their advance, uh, their revenge, uh, again, because people have always just thought they were like the rightful heirs to this planet or something. I don't know. The Japanese have this whole thing where even if they're being uh, bullied in the moment, they're like, okay, yeah, I'll do what you want. But secretly, like, hmm, I'm going to fucking kill you. You know what scheming. I mean? Yeah, they're scheming the whole time because, they again, the long game. Yeah. And I don't understand where it comes from, but the Japanese truly feel that they are God's gift to the world. It's like, uh, you know, like Zen, like, I don't know, like they. They think about the end more so than the immediate and whether that becomes like, or whether that happens like immediately or in 10 years, they think about the impact that they can make. And I guess. I, do, I mean, emotion immediately. let's look at technology. They, they do see the future more than we do, I suppose, because they are way more advanced in that sect anyway. Yeah. So the American visit to Japan was a double-edged sword because now the Japanese have seen these new military toys and they did what Japanese people do and studied super hard and sent out a ton of people to other countries to study their scientific advancements and their military, um, their military in general. And when they came back, they became a superpower really, really fast. And that's when they decided they were ready. So they wanted to test out their new toys, right? and see if they might actually stand a chance against Western might. And how do you find out if you got what it takes to play in the big leagues? Well, you take on your neighbors in a triple-A league, right? That's how you do it? That's real. Yeah. Plus, we so, have way more fucking people, so... That, than Japanese. Than the Japanese, yes, we do. Yeah. Wait, we do? <clears throat> yeah, the Japanese, Japan is a tiny country. They can yeah. only fit so many people in there, even if they keep so, building high-rises. Like... It's a tiny China has a lot of people. China is, yeah. well, China yeah. is massive. China's massive. Hey, and look, at the, look at the size of the country. Mm-hmm. China versus Japan. Japan is a tiny little island. I think I was just thinking of like Asian period. Yeah, maybe. Well, way to be racist. I was just about to say that. I'm not <laughs> trying to be racist. Like That was ignorance, not racism. I think considering what we're about to tell you, you it, it'll slide. It's fine. Like right now, during this episode specifically, fuck the Japanese, man. Like, I'm just going to straight up say it. I don't know how else to do it, but you'll agree with me by the end of this because you will be scarred by far. This is I mean, at the same time, they could say the same shit about us too, so. Yeah, well, we're not, I'm not saying America's innocent by any any means. It's just, I feel like our, our atrocities are a little more well known and this is not. And, And it would be different if. If they were like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, like the, the Germans did, you know, the Germans paid back. They just finished their debt like 10 years ago to the world uh, for starting World War II. Uh, the Japanese never took any accountability at all. And that's the problem. And we'll talk about it. So they wanted to take on Korea. But China was like, nah, homes. So the Japanese again were like, I bet. And they told China to bring it. So in July of 1894, the first Sino-Japanese war began with China over Korea. And that was essentially the Japanese steamrolling steamrolling the Chinese for about a year until uh, finally the Chinese sued them to stop. Literally, like, sued them. Say, hey, stop. We've had enough. We're going to take all your money if you don't stop. (laughs) Yeah. Who would hold that, like, actually enforce that, though? I don't don't know. I don't know. I didn't really look into it, but I thought it was a funny sentence in the book (laughs) because that's how I I wish I had. There's so much info. You'll see why I didn't look more into it, but it's just. 
I don't understand how, but it worked. But they did, Japan did get Korea, though. They oppressed them for like 50 years or some shit after that. So then after that, about a decade, about a decade after that first Sino-Japanese war, um, the Russians decided they wanted to make take Manchuria. And the Japanese were like, oh shit, I forgot to tell you, Manchuria belongs to us, bitch. And the Russians were like, nah, fam. Then again, the Japanese were like, I bet. So from February 1904 to September 1905, we had the Russo-Japanese War. And because of Japan's vastly greater navy, again, because of Americans uh, seeing the American ship, and emulating them, the Japanese pretty easily beat the Russians off with like one hand. And during World War One, and then you know a couple of years later, during World War One, Japan wasn't really involved except to provide wartime materials to several countries, which produced overnight billionaires in Japan. And so life was good, you know. That is until the war ended, and then the American stock market crashed in 1929. So these hard financial times were made even more difficult when China boycotted Japan's goods. On top of all of this, the population in Japan had exploded from 30 million to over 60 million people. And the farmers had pushed agriculture to its limits and could not keep up with the expanding uh, population. So this left Japanese people with three options. And here's a letter from Lieutenant Colonel Hashimoto explaining it. Oh... There are only three ways left in Japan to escape from the surplus population. Immigration, advance into world markets, and expansion of territories. The first door of immigration has been barred to us by the anti-Japanese immigration policies of other countries. The second door is being pushed shut by tariff barriers. What should Japan do when two of the three doors are closed against her? Very good. Very good. So the three options is uh, <clears throat> immigration. They can't do that because there's anti-Japanese sentiment at the moment. Advance into world markets. The doors are being shut on them financially and expansion of territories. So two of the three doors are closed. What else can they do but invade other countries? So <laughs> Stop laughing. Sorry. You're good. That was so then that brings, I mean, we got to kind of got to go ham on these are the last two episodes. We really got to bring out that shit from me. I will not oh, be no. able to. Stop. No, no. I gave I all the lines to, to Will because I knew he would bring it. I gave all the lines to Will because I knew he would bring it. So Immediately, I would have burst into laughter if I was trying to read that with an accent like that. I was practicing my Japanese. <laughs> it's good. I like it. I really do. So then yeah, that brings us to uh, 1931 when the Japanese again invaded and occupied Manchuria. They did this by um, blowing up a train track in Manchuria, hoping it would derail a Japanese train. You heard me right. The Japanese blew up a, a train track, hoping it would derail a Japanese train. Who was but on that, the train? Japanese. I know, but like a special person or something? No, you'll, you'll see in a second why. No. So the, J the Japanese blew up a train track to derail a Japanese train. But that oh, plan she must be fun to watch movies with. It's not. She's not. <laughs> why did they do that? She is not. Do I don't oh do, my God, why did, I I, not do that. Why did they do that? Why did they shoot uh, them? Even Fuck. Carter, was like our son, is like... It was Trolls. Yeah, it was a movie. Trolls. and I had never seen it before. And I was watching it for the first time, just like they were. Hey, why is that happening? I, dude, I, I don't know. Actually, I, I don't that know. is untrue because I had not been paying attention. I was cooking dinner. They were watching it. And then I came in later and started watching it. So I had questions. Naturally, I was making them fucking dinner so they better answer their damn questions. Yeah, but it's not. That's one example. And there's other stuff like just watch the movie. You'll find out. I 
hate you. Yeah, well. Thanks, Will, for bringing that one up. Yeah, well. <laughs> Anyways, so the Japanese derailed a Japanese train. That plan didn't pan out. It just didn't work. So instead, the Japanese killed Chinese guards and just told the world that they tried to sabotage, that they were the ones who blew up the train tracks. You know, they tried to sabotage their shit. You know, your basic false flag operation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay. False flag. So with this, the Japanese once again seized Manchuria and renamed it Manchukuo. Doesn't sound one Japanese. Thing, I don't know. That's just what it's called, Manchukuo. Yeah. So one thing the Japanese learned by being at war with everyone all the time that has helped everyone around the world, admittedly, is that the Japanese noticed that during war, sure, you lose a lot of people to actual warfare, but you lose a lot more to germs and disease. So they created a water filtration system and implemented strict hygiene laws that legitimately saved the lives of countless soldiers across all countries. The other countries learned from the Japanese, and it has become a standard during wartime to to practice all these things because the the Japanese were at war so much. They're like, hey, we go to war and we lose 14,000 people on the battlefield, but we lose 36,000 in the camps from disease. So we got to fix that. Yeah, it's your body not adapting or having adapted to the microbes from you know, that country. That's why people get sick when they go to a different yeah. country and eat their food. They're not used mm-hmm. to that bacteria. And yeah, it's, that's yeah. interesting. Never would have thought of that. And plus the close quarters and, you know, bad hygiene of people, it doesn't help either. You know what I mean? Uh, you People are gross. And when you're that close to each other, you're going to catch whatever they have. So one of the very first things they did in Manchuria, now Manchukuo, is this, in the city of Pingfang, Oh, no, wait, it wasn't. It was Harbin, not Pingfong. Pingfong's later. The city of Harbin was to set up a unit specifically charged with the treatment of water. And this unit was dubbed Unit 731. Now, Unit 731 built a massive facility to help with their mission. And when I say built, I actually mean they transported in Chinese slaves from towns all around the area and forced them to work for free. Uh, When all was said and done, the building had 100 rooms and surrounding the building was a nine-foot wall topped with barbed wire and a high and high voltage wire. It also had a moat. It had giant iron double doors manned by an armed guard 24 seven and had a restricted zone of 500 yards in every direction, which all of this took just one year to complete. It sounds like a fucking Disney castle. Yeah, but this is a water treatment center. It's a water treatment fortress. Fortress. It is a fortress. It's true. I mean, I can understand why they would have it like that because that's a significant upper hand mm-hmm. but but why would a water treatment unit need a massive facility that was pretty much a fortress to do their work i don't know why um, to control well you see unit 731 may have had the designation of water boys but in reality they were using their facility to test on monkeys and it quickly became obvious to the chinese people that still lived near the building that not all was as it seemed because despite so much room and a giant restricted zone, they could still clearly hear screams throughout the night. And actually, there's a story of one kid who got a little curious, you know, a Chinese kid from the village nearby. He got a little bit curious and ventured close to the fortress. And then, unfortunately, his body would be found nearby, riddled with gun holes the next day. This is a kid. Shit. Yeah. I mean, no mercy. Yeah. <clears throat> no, none at all. So now you may be wondering why they heard monkeys screaming night after night within the building. Well, I think that answer is apparent, right? 
We know why. They're testing Torture. women? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So quote, within unquote, the walls... Testing. Correct. Very much quote unquote. Uh, within the walls of this fortress, scientists were carrying out pretty much any experiment they could think of, including but not limited to giving nothing but water and zero food and seeing how long it takes to perish. Some were given regular water and some distilled water. And at the time and the time difference it took for the monkeys to pass was recorded. They bred fleas and rats in this building that would be later injected with specific diseases and let loose to find out how long it took to infect the populace and then recorded how long till death occurred once infected. Okay, not to play devil's advocate. And Peta, don't come for me. But would we have rather than being tested all this shit on humans? I mean, obviously not at all, but it yeah, seems like it was a good thing in the end, possibly. Like, see, we know I more did, about no, water okay, waste okay, treatment. Um, let, let's, okay, I, I struggled with this because hearing the firsthand accounts because both books have like half the book is like factual information and the other half of both books is uh firsthand accounts of the people who experienced them and, and the victims of all this right and it really tears at your it tears your soul out and it pulls your heartstrings because it's fucking awful but then you hear about the advances in medicine that we got from all this and it's just like yes they were they should not have obtained the information this way however now we have the information so like I, how do you yeah you know two sides I mean? like, no point there yeah, it's it's fuck that one side is gross and disease and the other side is like shiny and new because we have the gross side. I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't agree with the uh, the way they obtain the information, but it's also like I'm not going to say thanks for the information, but man, I don't know. We, it's where a would we be? Evil, though. I don't know that this you'll see that it's not uh, a necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything you're saying like I get what you're saying. Right. Not but we you do can find have out how like long it will take to die if you don't eat food. Yeah, there's, a, there's other. I mean, ways. I'm not saying that one. That one thing without is anybody or anything know, but... being sacrificed. You know what I mean? These, it's without mercy though. Like all this, they're just like they know they're going to die. These monkeys are going to die, but they're like, okay, well, how long will it take for them to die? You know, that's the important part. Recorded information. So this went on for like five years. With scientists sending the information received from watching the monkeys suffer to scientific journals and universities. That is until there was a breach from the monkeys. And a group of them fled, but unfortunately they were found hiding in a cave and were either shot to death on site or returned to the facility, which would, they would die eventually anyway, so it didn't really matter. However, the nearby villagers that came across these monkeys had figured out that the Japanese were torturing these monkeys and the fortress was forced to shut down due to the government not wanting any backlash. Also, just a quick note, it's worth pointing out that any time you have like a medical and scientific paper, especially in the, from a university or you know any respected scientific journal uh, that it has been printed, it's usually prudent to mention the exact genus of the monkey. So you would say like the actual genome type of the monkey used, right? Yeah. So you would say the type of monkey you're using, not just say the word monkey. Uh, but in all these journals, just the word monkey was used. So the medical and science community were all very aware that the word monkey was a very thinly veiled code word for humans. And everyone that read these papers were just like, oh, this monkey died in 17 days from not eating. Interesting. When really they're saying this person died in 17 days from not eating. And these weren't just military scientists either. There were plenty of public sector people who read these reports and were like, oh, monkeys, i.e. human. That's fine. So, Emily, they weren't testing out monkeys. They were code-worded. They were people. These were all people. Oh. 
Mm. So there you go. Yeah. Still, not to play devil's advocate, but we know. Uh, yeah, no, again, I get, I believe me, I get the thought of we learned a lot and there was a lot of, I can't bring myself to say benefit because I don't, I, we learned Let's a lot. Advancement, not benefit right. necessarily. Okay. Yeah. Sort of the same thing though. Well, how do you feel about the information exchange for human life? That's uh, kind of gross. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There's yeah. better ways to do it. I agree. It's just like one of those things that you like are, you don't want to be, like he said, it's gross. You don't want to be like associated with it. You don't really want to think too deeply about it. It had to happen or it did happen, whatever. Mm, it did. Wait, it not didn't had have to happen. It didn't happen. Had, but it did. It, I'm saying, so no, it I'm saying like the mindset, not this actual right. like, act. I'm saying it. like you, it I'm had saying. to happen, did happen, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to think about it. Like, so you just don't. So like you kind of act like it didn't. Yeah. Like, I, I guess because it did happen, might as well not let it go to waste, I guess. You know. Anyways. So they already did the deed. Right. Why throw out this information just because it was obtained horribly? Um, yeah, Nazis so, did the same thing. Yeah. Nazi scientists. So while, while all this was going on, the Japanese war machine continued its march to take what is theirs. So obviously the Japanese were vilified by the Chinese because, you know, they took over their lands and tortured them. So some Japanese Buddhist priests were attacked by a group from Shanghai, which was met by the very rational response of air bombing the city in and in that air raid, 10,000 people died immediately. You know, a couple of monks got attacked, 10,000 people, 10,000 Chinese people died. You know, it's rational. So, yeah. Wait. It's not. When you said monks, you didn't mean monkeys, right? I said monks. No, we mean monks. Okay. Like, like religious people. Okay, no. got it. So the Japanese might and their cockiness assume that the takeover of all of China, all of it, because of their tech advances and far superior military would literally take like a week tops. Probably less though, because we're just so good. We're Japanese are just so much better than you. So when the Japanese stormed the city of Shanghai and found that the Chinese weren't going down without a fight. And even though, yeah, sure. In the end, Shanghai did fall to the Japanese. It took months for that to happen. So the Japanese military uh, is a little bruised right now. You know what I mean? They're, they're a little embarrassed. They it didn't happen the way they thought. So when the Chinese realized they could no longer keep Shanghai, they retreated back to the city of Nanking. And when this happened, those with money and power fled even further back, leaving the city completely because it was assumed the Japanese would continue their march. Um, and they're right. But the people that left were like rich people, higher up military personnel, uh, important people. And these actually people actually took as many culturally important arts and pretty much any stuff they had in their museums that they didn't want lost to war. So it was a good thing that they left early. Uh, you know, they saved entire museums, basically. So a lot of culture and art was was not destroyed. But again, it was only the rich and powerful at this point. But the thing is, they also took military communication because in, in Nanking was like a military base and the generals were there and stuff. And, you know, they have to direct the army so they can't be in the war so the generals that were there took military communication devices and public transportation hell they even took the small air force they had with them they had like 300 airplanes and they took that with them so all that was left was military infantrymen and really no way to communicate with each other you know which obviously causes problems later on you could clearly see how that's detrimental to tactical warfare not being able to communicate with your different units separated throughout the city. 
Yeah, they're basically left to to die. Like, yes. hey, do, do your best. Hold them off for as long as you can. Yeah, essentially, that's pretty much what they were doing. But at the time, didn't that wasn't that like the known thing? Like you joined to when you were going into this time period, it was just known that you're going to die or thought. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it was basically like a, uh, a suicide mission. Yeah, it was it was a a people eater. You, you're just putting fodder out there so that you can slow them down a little bit at least. So how, the rich people that left were few and a majority stayed to see what happens, right? All the regular everyday citizen and all the military that were left were just like, oh, they might not come here. You know, we'll just see what happens. <clears throat> but obviously the Japanese were definitely marching straight, straight towards Nanking, um, hot on the tails of the soldiers who managed to retreat in time. As the Japanese marched on, any and every town in their way was met with, uh, or village really, was met with unbridled violence and zero mercy. They raped and pillaged what they could and then left the villagers in ruins by burning everything down. Anybody in their path, on their warpath. Because like I said, at this point, the Japanese were a little bruised. They were a little mad that the Chinese were putting up such a good fight. So when they had the chance to utterly destroy them, they fucking took it. Damn. It's horrible. It is. So before the Japanese actually reached Nanking, the general of the army, the Japanese army, had everyone meet a few kilometers outside the city gates. Because uh, Nanking, just a real quick overview, Nanking is a walled city, completely walled. and on So it's like a square. Think of a square. And on two sides, the river meets like this behind them. So they have the defense of a large river behind them and then walls on the other side. So... If they were to, they needed to escape, they could escape by water, right? Or they could just flee through the gates. But it's a completely walled city. <clears throat> so the uh, Japanese army is meeting outside the city gates a couple kilometers out to go over some rules of warfare, like, uh, like a set of moral commandments. And this is what the commander said. Oh, we will enter the capital with only a few well-disciplined battalions. Complete the occupation so that the army will sparkle before the eyes of the Chinese and make them place confidence in Japan. Now, that was to the general soldiers, right? That was like the army in general. Speaking directly to his officers, the general said... Now, the entry of the Imperial Army into a foreign capital is a great event in our history, attracting the attention of the world. Therefore, let no unit enter the city in a disorderly fashion. Let them know beforehand the matters to be remembered and the position of foreign rights and interests within the world city. Let them be absolutely free from plunder, dispose sentries as needed, Brundering and causing fires, even carelessly, shall be punished severely. Together with the troops, let many military police and auxiliary police enter the walls of the city and therefore prevent unlawful conduct. <laughs> I need you to repeat the word um, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So yeah, essentially, the general commander of this attacking army <clears throat> said, "We're entering a. Uh, I can't even think because of Will's accent. Right now. <laughs> a capital city of a foreign nation. Right. This is a big deal military st strategy wise. This is a big deal for the world for us to go into the capital city of a different country. So we're gonna have to play by some rules. Like we can't fuck around." 
and find out. You know what I mean? Like you we're just going to go in and the Chinese people lay down their arms and we will just take over peacefully. Basically, we'll just go in and, you know, we'll, we'll show them that we are a <clears throat> might to be feared, however respected. And that was the plan. That was the plan. So now the stage is set and the Japanese move forward towards Nanking. However, since this was a historic event on December 9th, 1937, the Japanese decided to give the Chinese people a chance to surrender. So they flew over the city and dropped thousands of leaflets that read, The best way to protect innocent civilians and cultural relics in the city is to capitulate. We will be harsh and relentless to those who resist, but kind and generous to non-combatants and to Chinese troops who entertain no enmity to Japan. Nanking is to surrender by noon tomorrow. Otherwise, all the horrors of war will be red ruse. Let what? Red ruse. <laughs> all the horrors of war will be red ruse. <laughs> So when the leaders um, that were left in Nanking, because they did leave some leaders behind, uh, they saw the leaflets and they were angry. They told the troops there will be no surrendering to the Japanese. They will fight to the death and protect their city. They were ready to protect the city at all costs. However, secretly, they were trying to get a truce without actually surrendering. Right? They were trying to uh, just stave them off without giving up the whole war. So they proposed a ceasefire for three days in which the Chinese will allow the Japanese to peacefully enter the city while they move their troops out of the city. However, either way, at noon the next day, two Japanese officers, because remember, they gave them 24 hours to, uh, to surrender. Mm -hmm. At noon the next day, two Japanese officers waited outside the gates for any sign of a white flag. And when none came, they immediately began their siege and shot artillery at the walls and sent an air raid overhead <clears throat> and just bombarded the whole city in this for their initial attack just immediately no white flag came so they gave the order and immediately just bombardment, bombardment. yeah mm -hmm. so for three days the chinese fought but due to lack of communication and any air support and even not like not even dropping bombs air support like there wasn't planes overhead to tell the people down below hey we got people flanking our west side we have fifty thousand troops over here on the east gate you know what i mean they had no way to know which way the, the japanese were attacking from so they ended up attacking from every direction which really obviously you're going to be overwhelmed if you're getting attacked from you know you're looking forward but you get shot from behind you know what i mean yeah yeah so at because of this the chinese lost troop after troop one by one and by december 11th the general of the chinese army issued a notice to retreat immediately the problem was some troop commanders told their troops to evacuate the city like they were told to but some troop commanders didn't bother. Those The troop commanders themselves got the fuck out of there, but they didn't tell any of their people below them that we were to retreat. And they Sorry. literally Bye. didn't shit to anyone, right? They, they covered their own ass. So here we have some soldiers fleeing the city because they were told to. The retreat command was given and they obeyed. And then some who saw all these soldiers fleeing en masse and they just saw a bunch of cowards. So they took it upon themselves to mow down those soldiers who were told to retreat. They just machine gunned Fuck. any Chinese person who was retreating because they didn't know the retreat order had been given. The communication wasn't widespread. 
So these people, the Chinese citizens, uh, soldiers are mowing down other Chinese soldiers because they're cowards. There was even one tank that I know of that I read about who literally ran over hundreds of soldiers running down the road and only stopped because they blew it up with a hand grenade. It just kept going. Oh, fuck. Jesus. Just running over hundreds of people on its way until someone threw a grenade inside and just took it down that way. The original kill dozer. <laughs> Jeez. To make Sorry, matters worse. It must have been a very narrow street because. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a, it's a Chinese city. It's very highly populated, very, uh, very dense structure wise. Uh, so yeah, it, it was just there was no escaping. Plus, there were so many people in the city. Like, if you ran into the street, you were just met with thousands of other people doing the same thing. So you're just a stampede of people being mowed down by a tank. Um, so to make matters worse, civilians were also now trying to flee the city at the same time. But this is a walled city, and they were bottlenecked at the gate. So to try and get out faster, they just dropped all their shit on the road and you know let fuck it, we're gonna leave everything behind and we're gonna get out which made it impossible for vehicles to leave the city because there was shit all over the road. There was no way to get past it. Just tons and tons of shit. Along with everyday civilian things, soldiers also left crates of ammunition and uh, bombs, grenade stuff all over the road as well. So it made it even harder. And now you have dangerous explosive things on the road as well. And because of that, somehow all this shit caught fire and hundreds, if not thousands, of people were killed in the fire. And even some who weren't even near the fire were burned alive because the people in the back kept pushing forward. You have thousands of people funneling through this gate down the road, and they don't know there's a massive fire up ahead or how bad it is, so they're continuously pushing, and you are being herded towards the fire. Even if you were nowhere near, you ended up being burned alive. God, so, either you move, so either you move with the crowd into the fire, or you were trampled alive. Either way, there's no escaping this. I told you guys this is a horrible fucking episode. Yeah, I warned you guys. And this isn't even the worst of it. I haven't got to the worst at all. I have a question, but I'm not <clears> sure I should ask because I don't know if you're going to cover it, but also because I'm now self-conscious about asking questions. Well, Why? Thanks. Because like I'm confused by the dates and like maybe the exact location of said initial, I guess interaction or whatever mm -hmm. um it's a walled city you said and mm -hmm. everyone's trying to get out of nanking but where are the troop people that are coming in they're blowing holes in walls and shit yeah they made their they forced their way in the japanese soldiers no, but that was at on the ninth why does it because the chinese fought for three days they they tried they gave it their best shot to to fend off the attacking Japanese people. And not that they were doing a good job, but they were left without communication. And that's a, one of the biggest things in military strategy is you have to communicate what is happening, what they want you to do, where the opposing soldiers are coming I from. Get that. So that's, they tried for three days. They tried until the people, the higher ups felt they had lost the city. So they issued the order to retreat. Okay. So like the, retreat order was then like the start date of what they would consider it then no the so the official the official entrance into nanking by the japanese uh like takeover was december 12th the issue was the retreat issue was given on december 11th and the date of said events starts on december 13th yes yeah okay so during the scramble, I mean, because we think about it, we have roads, but also that river back there, right? We have that river 
the back end that protects them and, and helps with their commerce. During the scramble, many soldiers stole civilian clothes from the shops so they could try to blend in with the crowds. And when all the clothes from the shops ran out, soldiers were seen taking the clothes directly off of civilians by any means necessary. Eventually, people started climbing the walls, but a lot of them would end up falling to their death. Meanwhile, others tried to flee on boat, but when every single boat had left, people started using anything that floats. Doors, bathtubs, you know, whatever you could get your hands on to try and get away. But eventually, all that stuff ran out too. And that's when they tried to just swim away. But this is a full-size raging river and most of those people just ended up drowning and so thousands upon thousands of of people died before the japanese even stepped foot in the gates 24 hours after the retreat order was given once the japanese did enter nanking on december 13th 1937 there were some 300,000 chinese soldiers and they just laid down their weapons while some civilians for some reason there was a sentiment between among the people of the city of nanking that the Japanese soldiers would, once the they had won, right? Once the Japanese soldiers had won the and the people left over, they would be treated kindly because that's what they were told to do, right? That's what they were informed that you know if you're if you're not against Japan, you'll be treated with dignity. And so some of these people welcomed the Japanese people with open arms. They um, they thought that even they might even do a better job running the city than the Chinese people had. And that's how the Japanese soldiers were met. It's kind of like uh, voting in American politics. Yeah. Now, while the general... Oh, way to bring that into it, Emily. <laughs> Sorry. You, you, get, you get ass blasted either way. Now, while the general present at the invasion had told the Japanese to behave themselves, the higher-ups found, you know, the people not present, the people giving the orders from the, from the, the, the base, found that 300,000 Chinese military personnel had surrendered. And they were thinking... There's no fucking way they had enough food to feed themselves and that many prisoners of war. So a secret message was sent down the pipe from the higher-ups, which simply read, Here, all captives. And while the note was stamped with the guy in charge of seal, like the actual general seal, the note actually came from the second-in-command pretending to be the head honcho. Hmm. Yeah. Now, okay, so I guess this is the part of the episode where uh, shit gets real. Shit gets. If it, I know it's already been intense and war is awful, but now for this, you guys, I don't know. I don't think you guys are ready for this jelly. So before we get into some of the atrocities of the Japanese um, that they were about to commit against the citizens of Nanking, most of them civilians, uh, and actually it didn't matter if they were young or old. Nobody was spared, and. Uh, before we get into all that, let's get into some statistics of what was about to happen. So if you were to stack the bodies on top of each other, they would be as tall as a 70-story building. 74-story building. I left out four stories. <laughs> 74 stories. During the massacre of Carthage, the Romans killed less people than the Japanese did in Nanking. The Japanese killed more Chinese people than the entire Spanish Inquisition. The death toll in the city of Nanking over the course of six weeks was more than most countries lost in all of World War II. There's more people that died in Nanking than the casualties of both atomic bombs. 350,000 people died. And 80,000 Chinese women were raped. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's we're a about to talk about brutal, all that. What a pretty brutal takeover there, huh? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and this is 
all the stats were just in the six week period, not like a course of years. This is those stats are just for the six week period we're about to talk about. So uh, buckle up. I don't know what to say. Uh, half a million civilians uh, that were not able to leave the city, along with some 90,000 soldiers that were trapped within the city walls and another 200,000 that were captured trying to leave the city. And this number is astounding because the Japanese stormed the walled city with only 50,000 soldiers. Hold on, wait. 50,000 soldiers? There was only 50,000 Japanese soldiers and there were over 300,000 350,000 deaths. Mm-hmm. And then there's still people... At this point, this is the start of it, right? So there's still 350,000 people alive and only 50,000 Japanese soldiers. Like how... It just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. How did they not just fight back and just overwhelm them? And a lot of people don't understand the docileness of the Chinese people, but it's it's something that people, historians especially, have tried to figure out and understand for the longest time, and they just can't. I think part of it has a lot to do with what you said earlier about they were expecting, hoping, praying that they were going to come in and do a better job of the current people running the country or state, whatever. Yeah, the city. Yeah. City. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's just... I mean, just as a whole, like... Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, I, yeah, I, I wish I understood it more. Um, I just don't. I mean, that's like... Yeah. I mean, about how long it would take you, like, yeah, okay, you're going to need to give it time for, like, transitions and stuff. So, like, maybe in their mind they're thinking, like, yeah, it's going to be, like, shitty at first, but it'll get better. Mm-hmm. And then right. during that whole five minutes of... I think a lot of it has out. to do with because you still have because the three hundred thousand people laid down their arms, but you still have ninety thousand troops within the walls, right? Um, that didn't evacuate or or get mowed down. So you had fifty thousand soldiers, Japanese soldiers, took over ninety thousand. I think it was because there was that such miscommunication with the Chinese army that they weren't told to keep fighting, or or you know what I mean, like so they probably just gave up. Essentially, they just said. Like, here you go. Fuck it. Because only 50,000 soldiers is not a lot compared to even if you had uh, everyday citizens fight back, they could easily overwhelm. There was It's what, four to one? Yeah. But also, I guess you'd have, uh, I mean, we're not in the same mindset, obviously, of those people. And like, we have the time to like sit here and rationalize what we think we yeah. could do or would do. Right. But I mean, it is, it is a devastating. You Your city's on fire. Your city's on fire. There's death everywhere. Um, it's just. And then I guess a percentage of those 350,000 people were children, children and elderly. Yeah, people elderly, yeah, quite themselves. a bit, quite a bit. Yeah, there's that too. But still, 90,000 soldiers were trapped, left in the city at the time when they actually, when Japanese actually entered. So 90,000 Chinese soldiers still in there, but only 50,000 people were attacking. That's still almost twice as many soldiers. But they just laid down their arms. They just gave up. Yeah, I mean they were bombarded. They're bombed. They're probably like, oh shit. And they probably didn't know like, how many soldiers right. were on the other side of the wall. Yeah, yeah. They, just, they yeah. were like, hey, you guys just bombed the shit out of us. You blew up in our fucking wall. Like, yeah, yeah we'll, give, we'll give up. 50,000 more coming every hour. Like, you yeah, have no yeah, idea. Like I said, they don't have the air support to see how big the opposing army actually is. So they only see what they see at eye level and not the overhead view where they could be like, oh shit, they, there's not that many of them. Let's just keep fighting. So I know that this episode has already been pretty rough, but it's about to get so much worse. So from now on, pretty much everything I'm about to say is horrible in every way. Um, you've been warned. So you keep saying that, and I expect it, dude, it I, I wish any worse. Than it I, does. I, I, I'm, I, I, 
Okay. Well, well you'll, you'll just find, we'll out. find out. Watch the, yeah. movie. Watch the movie. You'll find out. Um, now, remember all those people that rushed to welcome the Japanese people warmly to the city? You guys mm. remember them? Mm-hmm. Well, all those people were stabbed in the face or shot immediately. All of them. Okay. Right. And there's there's evidence of once the shooting started, people running away, and there's bullet holes in the back of their head. So didn't matter. Old people, young people, all dead immediately. Basically kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Then the plan was to gather troops in small groups, like groups of 12, uh, Chinese troops anyway, and take them on a walk. And at the end of the walk, they were met with a large hole and machine gun fire. All the other Chinese soldiers had their hands tied and left without food or water. But they were told, you know, they're sitting there tied up without food or water, but they were told they could earn food and water by working for the Japanese people. So by the time it was their turn, most soldiers were weak, but happy to go to work so they could eat. Right. They'd be like, okay, this sucks right now. Who does Japanese soldiers? Japanese soldiers. And how long though? Like, I mean, I don't. Fairly quick. There's, There's whole troops dedicated to all this. So fairly quickly. So these Chinese people who were tied up and bound were happy when they, it was their turn to go wherever they were going because they're like, okay, I'll have to do some work, but I can eat and drink. Uh, you know, it's whatever. However, they were just led up to the killing fields. And even though they could clearly see where they were headed, they could hear the gunfire ahead of them. They could smell the blood. They were too weak and hungry to do anything about it. That's fucking horrible. <clears throat> well, it's like the... the, the- the Nazis did to the, the yeah the, the <clears throat> Jewish people with the shower. They thought they were going to take showers and they were gassed. Mm-hmm. But even then, they they still had a similar type of thing. They were just <clears throat> you could only gas so many people. Yeah, so they would bring them out, same thing in a field, and shoot them. And they knew where they were going. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's the point of keeping them bound and hungry and thirsty. Is yeah, you know what's happening to you, but. Good luck having the energy to do anything about it. Meanwhile, the Japanese were making games and laughing about all the different ways they could kill civilians. Some of these games were even reported in the Japanese news. Like they were two guys, like it was a sporting event. Two guys had a contest to see who could kill a hundred Chinese soldiers first in a sword fight. And this was reported like a sporting event and people chose a side and everything like, oh, I like fucking Yoshi more than Hiroshito over there. He's, he's better at cutting people's heads off. Like it was a spectacle and they were murdering Chinese people. And this was their game and they were laughing about it. They had bets. There's actually there's one very famous story about a Chinese guy, right? He's walking along the street and he saw soldiers walking in his direction. So him and another guy quickly jumped into some trash bins and covered themselves up with trash, right? They were hidden, but it was too late. The Japanese banged on the trash cans. And when the two men jumped up, the other guy was immediately decapitated while he was forced to join hundreds of Chinese people being led down the street. Uh, And they were being led to a freshly dug hole in the ground. Once they got uh, to the hole, they were arranged in rows on all four sides. Like, you know, it's a square hole. And on all four sides of the hole, was uh, hundreds of people on each side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and four two-man teams of Japanese people had a race to see which team could kill everyone on their side first. At a, and they did this with their swords, with through decapitation, uh, through any means they could. They just had to kill everyone on their side of the hole before the other team of Japanese people. Now, out of 
out of all the people standing in rows, just waiting as docile as can be. Again, not sure exactly the the mentality here. Maybe they just gave up and a fear. I'm not sure. I can't I cannot even put myself in that place. But they were just sitting there, docile as can be, watching the row in front of them get murdered and knowing you're next. Except one pregnant woman. She actually started putting up a fight when she was being dragged away to be raped. She started fighting the Japanese who were there, and she was the only one to do so. And even in the book, the guy says this should have been the event that caused the because there's only I think there's nine Japanese soldiers total. There, are, you know, four teams of two and one guy with a machine gun in case anyone tries to run away. So there's hundreds of people. They should have been the time when the pregnant woman was fighting to join the fight and overwhelm them. But everyone just sat there watching, didn't move. So this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not blaming them. I don't know the mentality. I, I don't know if I were there. I don't know if I would do anything. You know what I mean? This, seeing the destruction and massacre and, you know, there's a hole for dead bodies right next to you. What are you going to do? I don't know. It's a horrible situation. And I I can't say that they were wrong in just standing there because I don't know. But so the woman is fighting. She's pregnant and she's fighting the Japanese off and she's the only one doing so. And as a result, Japanese soldier bayoneted the woman spilling her intestines. And then her baby was ripped out of her and cut into pieces in front of her as she died. Oh, my God. You could have left that part out. Mm, this is the atrocities oh of war. I, I keep these to a minimum, but th- this is a realization of how bad things get. Like, if I don't tell you these things, you don't realize, like, oh, like, it wasn't that bad. No, it was fucking horrible. Uh, so, like, witnessing things like <clears throat> that are the only, like, I guess, rational thing I can think of as to why no one fought back because they yeah. knew that the end result wouldn't differ for them probably. So the guy in this story managed to survive by pure chance when one of the people killed in the row in front of him happened to fall backwards onto him. And he just kind of let the weight of that dead body take him with him. And he fell back into the hole with the dead body on top of him. And so he's in this pit and he's laying there pretending to be dead. And the, everyone else was murdered in this place and he was the only one to survive however when the games quote-unquote games were done they left one japanese soldier behind with a bayonet and he went around the hole the pit just stabbing making sure everyone's dead just continue for like an hour just stabbing 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 and although he did survive he got stabbed with the bayonet five times and just every time he got stabbed he just took it didn't make a single sound he just took it. And because of that, the Japanese soldier moved on and he was able to survive. And there, I, there was some of his uh, friends that witnessed all this happening and they saw him go into the pit. And so they were like, well, we might as well go get his body. You know, he's our friend. We might as well give him a proper burial. And they actually came up to pull him out and they found that he was still breathing by some miracle. Damn. How are That's crazy. Alive also, though? They were hiding. Oh. They found Heidi, Heidi places. Heidi places? Mm-hmm. Oh, Heidi holes. Like Helen Keller. In other parts of town, people were filed into a building and led up to the top floors. Then, when they had a lot of the upper floors filled, the Japanese removed the stairs from the bottom floors, then set the entire building on fire. In other places, they tied up Chinese people and threw them into a freezing pond, and they just tossed a bunch of grenades at them. In other frozen ponds, they made people break the ice and swim underneath, and if they came up for air, they would shoot them. Other times, they, were led, they would let rabid dogs tear people apart. 
People were straight up buried alive. Some were run over by tanks or horses after they were nailed to wooden boards. They were sprayed with gasoline and then set on fire. They poured acid on some while others they hung up by their tongues. There were various reports of the Japanese cannibalizing the Chinese, along with other reports that penises were cut off and sold to other Japanese people because they thought that consuming the genitalia would increase their own virility. And all of this was done without a care for how old or how young a person was. Every single person there was fair game. That is... The mindset of people <sighs> carrying out these acts, like what level of insanity do you have to possess in your body to do these just heinous well i just realized that i left out the japanese mindset um so being trained in this military you know that you have the bushido code you have you know death before dishonor type of thinking but you also have um it's become a normality to you so they have plenty of stories of generals and people uh seeing new troops come in every day and then the first thing they do is gather them all you know, rank and file, and then they chop the heads off a few people in front of them. And initially, you see the disgust and fear in the Japanese soldiers' eyes. And within, let's say, three weeks, it's those same Japanese soldiers doing the head cutting off without remorse. It's just how they were bred in the system. They were get forced to do yeah, this. They get callous to it. Mm-hmm. So this is all... And like I said, there's also the fact that... Um, I guess they were letting off steam, I guess you could say, because like I said, Shanghai was supposed to take like a day to take over. It took months. And now there's even Nanking took three to four days to take over. They were supposed to be the upper best military and they just weren't. So now they're like, well, fuck you guys. Like, we'll show you what's up. You know what I mean? Like, it's just become like this petty thing of now we're going to destroy the shit out of you instead of just kind of take you over. You know what I mean? So they were just letting out all this rage. <clears throat> and the Japanese people really felt, like I said, they made even this, the newspapers had sporting events of murder. You know what I mean? It's just the the society that it is that brought them up, and this is the result of letting them do, letting them go unchecked. You know what I mean? And this is what happens. Hearing how you're like talking about it, and us as Americans not necessarily growing up really ever extensively learning, or maybe not at all learning about this. It makes me wonder, like, how China and Japan teach this to... We'll get into that. They don't. Well, I mean, no, like, not... I don't mean, like, in school or anything like that. Like, I just wonder, like, how each side would... They would tell the same exact story that we're telling now, how they would word it. Because, like, we're saying, essentially, that... The books that I read are Chinese authors, so this is how the Chinese would tell it. The Japanese wouldn't talk about it. They wouldn't acknowledge it. There is no Japanese forum for this. There is no Japanese, you know, not not widespread anyway. There are a few woke, you know, quote unquote, woke people who are actually right. You know what I mean? And they do accept that they were the cause of all this shit. But a lot of them do not. Yeah, it's hard to uh, actually say like, oh, yeah, we did do this. Uh I guess we right. can talk it's hard to come to terms with like, oh, shit, we did this? Nah, we couldn't have done this. They're making shit up. Yeah. There's no it's, way. It's just like, it's like the, the Holocaust deniers of Jewish people. Like, no, six million people didn't die. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's those people. I think it's fair. to I think that I heard that it was on the right side of politics, um, you know, the conservative side, that just straight up deny it. It's just whole thing of 
no, this is just Jap- Japan bashing. This is just making us look evil when it's not the truth. You know what I mean? And it, it's straight up denial. And even though there's, there isn't the shitty part is there isn't there's this one guy who survived this pit that's how we know this happened there's very few survivors of not only this but other atrocities committed that we'll talk about in a little bit um that just they have the proof but they're this happened in the 40s and they're all dead now you don't have first-hand accounts anymore i was just about to say that we're in the like time that these people from the holocaust and concentration camps and this the non-king issue and massacre and all of that those people are dead or dying like no one alive will soon alive will or there will no there will be no one else alive to actually tell these stories firsthand and they're going to get changed in Mm -hmm. history books and stuff i think a lot of the the books that i read a lot of the people that firsthand witnessed it not only on the um oppressor side but of the survivors i think like maybe the last one was like early thousands they passed away so the history the firsthand history is gone and whatever they have is what they have of that however the the proof remains otherwise in the population counts and different areas of you know you can see the scars basically so there's no denying it and even though they do i don't i don't see how but they do and that's part of the problem so now all of the all of that was horrendous. The things I try to go through that list as fast as possible. I don't know if you notice it. And those are minuscule. Those are just some events of how that happened. That's I, I don't know if the word is the Japanese got creative with their murders, but that was just a, a glimpse of what they did. That list I went through quickly just now. So all of that was horrendous, but this event was known as the rape of Nanking. So as you can imagine, being a woman was terrifying. Actually, they rape men too, but women got it the worst. And it's said that at any point of the day for the entire six weeks, at least one woman was actively being raped day or night. Screams all throughout the city at all all times, every minute. I cannot imagine. Now, just like I went through that other section of how Chinese people were murdered, I'm not going to say too much about this, but just like a quick gruesome overview of just a tiny bit of the war crimes committed against women um again age was not important young girls 80 year old women alike were raped to death pregnant women were raped and then sliced open killing both mother and child as if that wasn't bad enough the japanese also forced fathers to rape daughters sons to rape mothers and if the men refused they were killed immediately and the women were raped anyway all over the city the bodies of women were left out on the streets with their legs wide open and some form of foreign object shoved in them. There are a few tales of women fighting back and winning, and there were a few young women who just parkoured themselves to safety every day, literally just like Aladdin, getting away from the the, the fucking uh, the guards. That's what they did, and, they, and it worked. They parkoured their way to safety for six weeks, which is fucking cool, I think. Like, just running over walls and top of buildings just to get away, and it worked. There yeah. were very few of them, but it's still... there's This isn't just a story of victimization there are very cool stories of people persevering and you know managing to survive this i don't know how because the japanese were relentless um so suffering um like i said there's stories of suffering but there's also stories of overcoming and surviving um and actually i don't really have time to get into it uh this is actually shorter than i thought it was going to be maybe because it's so bad i just kind of read through it but uh, one of the biggest heroes was an actual Nazi who established a DMZ and saved thousands of people. In was that area? Yeah. <laughs> there's like a two mile, 
demilitarized mm-hmm. zone. Uh, yeah, in that area, he, the Nazi guy, he, I guess he was a Nazi in name, but he didn't ag- agree with the Holocaust, I guess. So he, he supported the Nazis economically and, you know, politically. But uh, I guess apparently he didn't support the other nefarious things that the Nazis did. So he created like a two mile zone that was off limits. Well, not off limits. It was military action was off limits in that area because this was for nationals. These were Americans, uh, Nazis, uh, you know, other people that were not Chinese and they were off limits, you know, attacking them. But it didn't stop the Japanese people from going and raiding the houses because they figured, you know, that different foreign countries would house Chinese people, which they did. There was whole basements filled with people. There's a school filled with Chinese people. And the Japanese didn't care. They went in and um, tricked them out sometimes. They would like say that there's a, if you bring a bucket of milk, we'll give you food rations for a week. But it was just a lure to get the women to bring stuff. And then once they were there, they snatched them up, raped and killed them. So they just still went in and like, like that school I was talking about, there's a story of a woman who was down there and she was pregnant and she managed to fight her way out. But the rest of the people didn't weren't so lucky. The Japanese dragged them out and took them out of the demilitarized zone and still managed to kill and rape them. So they did their part and, and it did help thousands of people survive. But um, it wasn't like a foolproof plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm really confused on like at this point, I wouldn't think that the Japanese have any like hard lines or <clears throat> hard nose so why the fuck were they even i mean if they not going after those other people in the dmz also right now they have free reign over china do you really want to make enemies of germans who's on your side technically and do you really want the americans coming in to china well no i mean i'm just thinking like, if you like think of, yeah think of in between uh north and south korea there's a their border is the dmz yeah. so if someone is like, I don't give a fuck, goes in there and starts some shit, you just created a war. Right. So it's, if you there, there's Americans in this DMZ in, in Nanking, there's Americans there. So if you start, this is in 37, 30, yeah, 1937. So do you really want, because Americans didn't join until 41, and we saw what happened. So do you really want the Americans coming in and doing something about this at this point? You want Big Papa to step in? Start I guess squashing some heads. Act, they don't think, um, like emotionally in the moment. I guess because at that point, I wouldn't think that they would just be able to stop because there's like a line in the sand or whatever. That's what I'm saying. They didn't. They found other ways. I found uh, to to loop, lure them out to you know get them out of the DMZ as best they could. It, like I said, it was sometimes the people were safe and they didn't get captured, but you know sometimes they weren't so lucky. Uh, so yeah, like I know that was incredibly rough and I apologize, but that's history that really happened. And that's pretty much the story of Nanking. Um, so many people were just horribly, horribly, brutally murdered. Many women were raped and, and it was just, dude, I I don't even know how to say like what I'm trying to say is it's the worst thing I've ever fucking heard about in my life. Reading those two books, reading those two books. Cause I've, I, I left out. The book goes spares no detail. The book goes ham on what exactly happened just to get the point across how bad this was. I spared you guys, honestly. Yeah, this is an hour of like a, just a little snippet of mm-hmm. six weeks of this horrible, horrible time. Like that's disgusting. 
Yeah, but um, luckily for us right now, we are done with Nanking. However, we have to go back to revisit the Japanese who are far away from the front lines, yet still committing their own unspeakable atrocities. That's right, Unit 731 isn't quite done yet. You see, in 1938, they decided to set up shop again, you know, because when we left them off, the, the fortress in Harbin had been found out, so they moved on. They were no longer there, but they set up shop again in a different city um, called Pingfong. Yeah, Pingfong. And once again, they got busy constructing a whole new facility, and obviously the locals noticed a massive, brand new, shiny facility going up. So they got curious, and they asked the Japanese what they were up to, and they said, uh, we are building a, a logging company. That's what we're doing. We're building a logging company. Yeah, you know, like timber and shit. And then they turned around and said, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be cutting up some logs in here. And from then on, the Chinese people that were passed through Unit 731 and experimented on were known as Maruta, the Japanese word for log. So instead of monkeys in the journals, they were now Maruta. Logs. Logs. Mm -hmm. And anytime, anytime they spoke about them, yeah, this this Maruta over here uh, needs to go get blood drawn or whatever. They were not human. They were logs. That's somehow even worse. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets Yep. Moment. And they laughed about this. It this works. was a joke to them. This was a joke to the Japanese. Like, yeah, we told those dudes we're loggers, so now you guys are logs. <laughs> it's funny to them. It was a joke. And it, and a lot of people, there's actually um a lot of people who still use this word Maruto for stuff, and they don't quite realize the origin of it is so dark. Derogatory. Yeah. And I would think that that's the mm-hmm. only way to use it. Yeah. So Maruta or, or log is now the instead of monkeys, they are logs. And Literally, they they have jokes about like we got to cut that log today to four pieces, like straight up. Like, what? No mercy. They had to do what they had to do. I don't know. Hmm. So, um, so even though they still did use the word monkeys in papers, like journals for like uh, universities, but when they were talking amongst each other and in their military logs, they were still logs, Maruta. So in this new facility, they did a lot of the same experiments as the first one. But this time, you know, they got to thinking and realized that the very same diseases that they were researching and that they had fought hard to fight off during wartime were the same diseases they could purposely send over to opposing armies. So basically, they focused on biological warfare. So they got started by capturing infected rats that had um, infected fleas and giving them to prisoners and breeding as many fleas as possible. Then they began releasing those fleas into one group and then gave that group medication to fight it off. Then they gave it to another group but didn't give them medication just to find out how well the medication worked and also how quickly the disease not only spread but killed its victims. They took some of the infected victims and vivisected them to see what the inside of a diseased person looks like. What? You know what vivisection is? Yeah, um, but hold on. Like, again... Not to play devil's advocate. Imagine where we would be if, like, we had no thought process or ability to test on things. Like, I understand. I get it. This is terrible, terrible. But would we, like... Emily's on board. I'm not. I just... Part of the 731, huh? I just don't know what the other option would have been. at Not necessarily at that time or just, like, now. Where would we be? We'd Think of something as small as your dog having fleas. Like that's how do scientists do it now? Too. 
Well, just to be clear, if you for don't use listeners, technology. Yes, they do. We have clinical trials. They actually literally. Yeah, but okay, but <clears throat> real quick, trying to see how quickly someone dies and then vivisectum to see. No, we learned hey, that. What does this look like on the inside? <clears throat> for people who are listening who are not aware what a vivisection is, it is the practice of performing operations on live. It says animals because obviously the dictionary is not going to say people, but so vivisection is um, operation on a a live person, uh, cutting them open completely. And then, you know, they die on the table, but they're alive when they start. So just in case you weren't aware what a vivisection was. Sweet. Kind of like a cesarean section. Mm. But they don't die, hopefully. Yeah, these people were cut open with, like, yeah, they're going to die, but we got to see what they look like while the tissue is still alive. You know what I mean? You yeah. got to see what, uh, what the disease does to the inside of a person while the heart's still beating. Again, science. Like, I, I can't... I'm sorry. I know that sounds right. so fucking terrible, but it well when uh when I text you in, in a couple of days and she started referring to me as Maruta, you're gonna have to step in, okay? Yeah, I'll get a plane ticket. <laughs> Whatever. What are you doing, Maruta? <laughs> hey Maruta, put your ass over here. Yeah. <laughs> what? So what are you testing out today? <laughs> yeah, what's happening today? Uh, I won't so refer to you as anything. You'll just be a, a test number. No, that's not worse. Call me a log is worse. That's really this. Yeah, yeah. Way, way worse. Remember the person's yeah. number. Yeah, way worse. Uh, so there were four main areas of experimentation um, that the Japanese focused on with these l- people. The first was cholera. Maruta, uh, come on. With the Maruta, the first was cholera, and a favorite method of spreading cholera was to feed wild dogs the disease. Uh, or feed the wild dogs pork infected with cholera, causing them to throw up. Then other dogs would come along and eat that throw up and become infected. Then it would cause explosive diarrhea and would spread even more and eventually infect humans in the village. Through this method, approximately 20% of people infected died. The next area, or so yeah, so they would do that. That is cholera. They would just feed it to infect pork, feed it to dogs, and the dogs would they would send the dogs into a village. Uh, innocent Chinese people just live in their lives. And then suddenly people would start dying and have explosive diarrhea everywhere without, without learned, any knowledge, without any knowledge. Yeah. They could have learned about cholera like I did. Oregon did Trail. you learn about cholera? Oh, okay. Yeah. I think Oregon Trail learned about cholera from this. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a trail of learning there. It leads to <laughs> Unit 731. Yeah. Who Emily's so, a part yeah. of. Yep. So that, that was the first one is cholera, a very deadly disease. The next area of experimentation was epidemic hemorrhagic fever, or EHF. And originally, EHF was a mysterious disease that had been ravaging northern China until Unit 731 discovered that it was transmitted by ticks. And then it was isolated and injected into Chinese test subjects just to see what happens. That one's the scary one for me. Like... COVID, Ebola, like, oh, that's like, yeah, we're still not clear of that one. It's any, No, but if we didn't test it on humans, how would we know? We wouldn't be as far along as we are today. That, that, that is a double-edged sword. We like, it is. It's true. I'm like, what you're saying is true, but it's awful. Like, it's fucking horrible. And like, I can sit here and say that as a person who didn't have to go through it or is not knowingly related to anyone who did go through it, but... I'm not like trying to justify the atrocities that were 
done. I'm just saying like, I'm thankful that I'm alive. Yeah. Still fucking a, uh, the next area of experimentation is plague, which was the most used bacteria for biological warfare because upon infection, it only took three days for death to occur. To test how effectively they could spread this disease, they chose six different Chinese villages. And what would happen is the Chinese villagers would one day randomly hear a plane and look up to see a low flying plane, like a crop duster, let's say, making several passes overhead, you know, just, you know, and they're just like, what the fuck is this plane doing? And so on the last pass, uh, the planes would release what looked like a thick cloud. And it would be a mixture of, you know, wheat, corn, other natural ingredients, uh, and, oh, plague. Um, This toxic cloud would fall down all around the village, and within a few days, people started seeing dead rats all over it. And at the very least, people started showing symptoms, if not straight up dying. Within a week, there were over 100 dead people, and overall, throughout the experiment, around 500 people died per village. Yeah. That doesn't really seem like a lot, actually. If you're spreading that shit through, like dropping it from planes, yeah, it's the, targeted to one village. Villages? I couldn't think more than I don't know, maybe seven hundred. It's a village. It's okay, not like well, a so city. Not, yeah, yeah, when you're saying there's only seven hundred to begin with, that okay, never mind. So then, after people started dying off, let's say the three day period, people, Japanese people in um suits, hazmat suits, would come in and erect a short wall, and this was built to keep the rats in the area from escaping. They then collected these rats for further tests, um, and a very shitty part about all this is that the areas where the toxic cloud was dropped was unlivable until the late 1960s when it was deemed safe to re-inhabit. 30 years. Damn. It was it was not safe to live there because there were still traces of toxic cloud I can't in all six of these anyone. villages. Would want to fucking live there now anyway. I don't know. I'm sure they do. In 2022? Yeah, some people do. But I'm just like, I can't imagine that anyone would want to like Chernobyl type. You know, you just hear the name and you don't want to be associated with it or go near it. You know, when I first started started looking into Japanese war crimes and Unit 731 specifically, I came across a YouTube video that had interviews with people who survived these attacks uh, specifically. And it shows them in their small village. They're just regular Chinese people in like huts and stuff. And it shows their limbs decayed and like black and they can't walk. You know, it just shows the actual effects of it. It makes it just much more jarring. Yeah, for sure. That's fucking chaos. And necrotic tissue. Yeah. So the, the rats that they collected with those little walls, were incredibly important to research because these air raids proved to be highly effective. So they wanted to figure out a way to deliver the plague, but in a wartime setting, out of the range of guns. You know, because during the test, they just had a peaceful village that had no idea what a plane even was, basically, and a, a small crop duster. So in a wartime setting, you have these massive planes. You have to go higher up because you have anti-air guns. And so you have to be able to drop the payload. But the problem is a regular bomb would kill the rats and insects infected with plague on impact so they decided to make a ceramic bomb that wouldn't explode just break open on impact and let the infected creatures roam free and that's how they managed to figure that out not explosively just drop projectiles into the area pretty smart i guess yeah imagine a freaking ceramic bomb hit next to you and then you're like 
the fuck was that? And then just a bunch of rats pour out. Yeah, fleas oh, jumping out. Lord of Jesus. Of shit. Oh my God. Stop. And then all of a sudden, three days later, you're pooping and, and puking everywhere. Yeah, and your I limbs are falling off. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea what's going on, even because I'm, sure, I'm not sure they, they, they understood that the rats were the problem. You know what I mean? Or the dogs were the problem in the first cholera case. Like they didn't, they just thought the dogs were sick and then they, maybe they tended to them and now they're dying. Like they had no idea what was happening to them. They were not warned. They were, I mean, obviously they couldn't because you need blind testing, but it's just unwilling test subjects the whole time. But anyways, the, the last area of experimentation, but certainly not the least was frostbite. See, the Japanese realized that other countries had different climates more specifically in this case, Russia, because they figured Russia was on the verge of attacking them again. So they needed to be ready for anything. So they took prisoners and tied them up in below freezing temperatures. The way they tied them up was to make sure their extremities were just bare skin and spread out. Then they took water and poured it all over their extremities at regular intervals. And let's say the water froze on their arms or legs, they would break it off and then would reapply water when they felt enough time had uh, to make sure it was still frozen. So they didn't really let it sit there. They just kind of kept pouring water on it and didn't let any ice accumulate. So when they felt uh, enough time had passed, someone would walk out to them and hit their limbs with a club. And when the arms or legs would make a sound like a wooden board being hit, they knew the person's limbs were fully frostbitten. Oh, shit. God. These experiments were carried out not only in the snow of northern China, but they actually created a two-story building that was essentially a giant freezer equipped with giant fans to speed up the process. This way, they could do frostbite experiments year-round. Is this what led to waterboarding? No. This is different. Waterboarding... Well, I mean, it's, it's done for different things, but in different ways also. Yeah. Hmm. But as a result of these experiments, some people's flesh and muscles just straight up fell off the bones. Other times, the limbs would shatter when they hit them with the clubs. No matter what, though, gangrene and rotting flesh always occurred. So that was just kind of a basic overview of all the atrocities Unit 731 was doing to the people of China. Again, very minimal look at it. These are the baseline things. Uh, But yeah... Com- Unit 731 combined with Nanking is um, just one of the worst events in all of human history, I would say. And the fact that not many people know about it, I'm, I'm hoping it gets more and more popular. Emily, you were telling me earlier about a TV show that had something on it. Well, I was more so mentioning the guy that was on TikTok who went viral for finding, um, he's a pawn shop owner, finding a book that had pictures and depicted the events um actual proof that this wasn't made up yeah and of course there's tons of controversy as to whether it was true or not um that he does show a few pages and a few tiktoks and i'm not like gonna drop his at because i don't really know for sure i'm not verified but um i did see something the other day in the news that he signed it over i guess to china i believe i said japan earlier but i think it was china and i tried to find an actual thing, but all of the articles I can find even mentioning him are dating around September 1st. So that was when he apparently went viral with the book and he doesn't show it all, but it looks to me like someone. I don't think he could. Crap booked it. I mean, it's like very nicely done in a leather bound book and everything. And it's like, you know, the pictures that are in there are like pasted and they have borders and nice handwriting and shit like that. It's like, it's like 
really weird to have like that nice of a book about that awful of an event. Yeah, because he said that he could. The one that I saw, if it was the same guy, was the one he said he can't even show us past a certain point because that's when yeah, the, the pictures guy. of dead people and you know all the things they were doing. But it's actual proof, and it was a big deal. Yeah, because the. So Unit 731 and Nanking, a lot of the things that happened were straight up destroyed. Like um, Unit 731 ended when they started losing, right? And um, they figured that Russia was about to invade from the north. So they literally went and destroyed every one of these um, facilities, except for maybe two that survived. So there's no physical proof any of this was done. Like all of it was destroyed, paperwork destroyed, uh, except for very few select things that they kept on with all the information that they had. But the physical facilities were destroyed in fear of the Russians winning that uh, initial attack and getting their hands on these facilities and understanding what they are. So they didn't want the, the Russians to know what they know and that they were doing these things more importantly because as we'll see the uh, Nuremberg trials which held for the uh, which were held for the Nazis who did war crime atrocities were held um, and they didn't want that to happen to them so they just straight up destroyed any evidence they had so everything is basically word of mouth from people that were there or mm-hmm. new people that uh, were there yes but i will <clears throat> not just that we'll, uh, we'll talk about it so uh, like we've been saying this entire time, literally, Emily's been saying it over and over again because she's part of Unit 731. Is uh, I, I'm not gonna lie, a lot, and I mean a lot of things were learned that help us today with diseases, frostbite. Uh, for example, because of these experiments, we know that rubbing the frostbitten parts um, is not the best way to get them fixed. Instead, soaking the affected area in warm water is far better and more effective. However, the problem is we have no way in telling how many people unwillingly gave up their limbs and lives for this information to be known. And you see, that's the double-edged sword here. It's like, yeah, we know this important information, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. What's even as- crazier to me, though, is that we still have these things going on with the knowledge of how to prevent them, like, 100%. But we... Well, frostbite is almost always accidental. Well, no, not like not specifically frostbite. I mean, other things that. Well, I think this is more in wartime efforts where you have to invade a freezing country. You know, you have to be able to survive that, you know. So. Yeah, I think that's I think that was more the focus, not just like the everyday every man person. Mm -hmm. Okay, bad time to comment that, but I didn't mean frostbite specifically. Like there's Mm -hmm. a ton of other scientific shit we learned about this horrible event. They learned yeah. about cholera. Don't feed it to so dogs. We learned how long it takes to die without food. Um, what type of water will kill you first if that's the only thing you're intaking. Um, we've learned that what flea medications will prevent our animals from getting fleas and then spreading to us and giving us diseases. We have vaccinations to prevent almost every fucking communicable disease, but then we have people who don't do them. And if you're one of those, thanks for that. Yeah, but all that could have been done without the cost of human lives. Actually, it couldn't have. Could it, how could it the, have? The, I, the, I wonder the, if that's true. The plague diseases, no, but people are going to die until you can come up with the vaccine for it, not willingly yes, giving also, it to people. But you could not have figured out how long it would take to die without food or water without actually com- like committing to the act of not eating or drinking. So why is that? That's not 
prevalent. You just tell people eat. Yeah. Eat Get daily. to the point where they're because about to die, if, then revive them. Because obviously, it's actually, been it's been beneficial. Like there are people who are like lost at sea. There are people who are lost in the woods. There, and they'll find out one way or the they, other. They yeah, don't need they have, experiment. They have their watch. Like, fuck! I only have one more day until I die. Yeah. I'm just saying, like that's something that has helped. I guess. Thank, like, thank you, Unit Seven Thirty One. I now know that I have twelve hours off. and six minutes till I perish. Yeah. Thank you for killing all yeah, those people right. for yeah. giving me this knowledge. It's <sighs> not going to help me survive right now. And thanks to the book Animal Farm, we know who to kill first and eat them. Yeah. So. You're not helping your case, you Seven Thirty One, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Sorry. not. So, so I think this next part is more conversational. If you guys have thoughts on it, please speak up because I think this next part's interesting. Uh, the, till the end, basically. Um, I think I have like a page left. But... Um, so, as far as biological warfare goes, the Japanese were super close. I'm talking like just fucking super close to unleashing what they learned to learn uh, unleashing what they learned on the battlefield when the Americans advanced and took the island of Saipan. The Japanese desperately wanted to keep Saipan because if they let it go, the Americans could, e could easily refill their planes and make a much better attack on the Japanese. So, you know, they're like, we can't let this island go. We have to win at all costs. So they sent a ship over to, the, to Saipan to infect the entire island with plague. However, through sheer luck, the Japanese ship was sunk on its way to Saipan. Just sheer luck. It just happened to be sunk. And seriously, it, or I, I think it was just a war, like it was sunk on purpose, but they mm. didn't realize what was on it until later. Oh, and okay. it just it happened to get luckily sunk in, in in the ocean on the way to the to the it Americans, wasn't like shot down or anything like that. It was just literally like it had to have been in like no, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was destroyed. You it can't, was, it was a victim can't of shoot war. down a can't shoot down a ship, but I I understand what you're saying. Well, mm -hmm. Like a bomb, I meant like not shoot it with a bullet, like. They didn't like drop a bomb on it or whatever. She's like not it. understanding. It was a ship. Yeah. Yes. Was a ship that, literally was a ship bomb that was... a ship in the middle of the water and it would sink. You, you can't, shoot, the problem you can't here, shoot down a ship. Unit 731 Emily. Oh, the problem London. is here is that you shoot down an airplane because it's in the sky. Oh, yeah. No. Sink. You, you sink, sink a ship. You sink a battleship. I meant, okay, drop not, a bomb. You shot down on my battleship. It fucking sinks. I hate both of them. <laughs> so you sunk my battleship. Out of all the things you learned at Unit 731, you didn't learn about this. Technically, I did say it correctly because they're both fucking going down. Mm. Hmm. No. So, yeah. Anyways, luckily, nothing happened. That A whole ship infected with plague or, you know, meant to infect the Americans with plague went down in the ocean somewhere. Even scarier, though, even scarier than that is that in 1945, when the Japanese were getting so desperate to do whatever it takes to win this war, that they set their sights on dropping plague bombs on the west coast of the USA. The Japanese had gone and built an incredibly large submarine that was capable of carrying a massive plague payload and even had enough room to have three airplanes on board to deliver the plague to the coast. So they had enough fuel and stuff to like set off on, on the coast of the US far enough where they won't be attacked. And they could send the planes out and drop these plague bombs on the west coast. California specifically. But uh, among all the Japanese head honchos, only one general named Imezu Yoshijiro had enough senses to realize that, yes, these attacks would severely fuck up the United States, but that battle would quickly turn from the U.S. versus Japan to the world versus plague. 
you know, kind of like COVID shut down the world, but way worse. We saw how that shut down every economy for a year. And that was just COVID. Imagine plague purposely sent out and spreading nonstop. Imagine that. Oh, that would turn into, we're going to sink the island of Japan. Yeah. And, And Japan would be the biggest villains in all of world history if they did this. And even with this stark warning, a majority of the Japanese commanders are like super down to do it. But luckily, Yoshijiro had the last word and the plan was scrapped in the 11th hour. But one man, one man stopped plague from decimating the world, essentially. That's crazy. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Emily? Mm-mm. Nope. Well, we would have learned from it, though, right? Can't be quiet about that one. Move on. Go ahead. Now, obviously, all of the very baseline atrocities I described here today are enough to give the death sentence to everyone involved. But I'm sad to say that everyone except a select handful of people got away with all of this gnarly shit scot-free. And even went on to lead very successful lives. And the reason this event isn't as well known as other atrocities is because the victims themselves remain silent. You know, the Chinese people never complained about this. They, I don't know if it was a pride thing. I don't know what the reason was, but the victims, the Chinese people, didn't say anything about it. But also, the Cold War and America's need for information swept it even further under the rug, along with straight-up denial about the Japanese that this forgotten Holocaust even happened, and especially the Japanese right wing. So all of these things together, the the Americans sweeping us under the rug in exchange for information, um, the victims themselves not saying anything, and the Japanese straight-up denying it, this is why nobody knows about this, about exactly how bad this whole event was. Maybe because it would, like, give... You know, like, we... When people are like, we do cases and stuff and we've, we say the case of the death of whoever, and we don't Mm -hmm. say like the murderer's name per se, like maybe that's their mindset. Mm -hmm. They don't want to like give more fame to Japan for what they did, but at the same time, they're having to just sit back and take it and move on. I don't know. Like, I really don't get that mindset. I think it was just a thing that the Japanese are going to be quick to forget this. Yeah. Even if they believe it happened, they're going to be like, it wasn't us. Nope. And this definitely did not happen. See, no one's, the Chinese aren't saying anything about it and it didn't happen. Yeah. This, the book goes really far into this. Um, This is, again, I'm really just baseline covering. So you can, if you want to look this up, please do. Uh, This is just the basic information. But uh, so the book goes into detail about how the Americans, uh, once the um, Japanese realized that the Americans weren't going to do shit because they needed, Japanese information, they got really like bold about it and started having like seminars about what they learned. Like sometimes they were out front with using human experimentation, but sometimes they use words like monkey or log to talk about in their in their seminars. Um, and because of American intervention, you know, the Russians wanted they fucking they knew enough to know that the Japanese did horrible things, and the Russians wanted to persecute. They wanted the Japanese to pay for their crimes in a court of law in the world court. Uh, other people did too, but the Americans were like, shh, go, go away, go away. We got it handled. We, we, you, you, we worry about your part of the world. We'll handle the Japanese. We, we did drop bombs on them. So we, we're going to take care of them. You know what I mean? So the, the Americans straight up and 
well, I guess I, I have it in here. We'll talk about it in a second. But it, this is America's fault, essentially. Not not the atrocities, but the cover-up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it was beneficial 100% to the Americans to not let this information get out. Mm-hmm. But one of the absolute most heartbreaking consequences of all this is that the women who were not brutally murdered after they were raped ended up pregnant. But not a single Chinese mom would ever admit that their child is Japanese and the result of rape. Some would even go so far as to kill their baby after he was born because the shame of it all was too much to bear. But not a single mother would ever come forward saying, yes, my child is a result of a Japanese rape. Not once, not ever. They denied it. They just either sometimes straight up murder their child or just let it go. You know what I mean? And that's one of the, like, think about the mental toll it takes on the women years, years after this event actually happened. Years it took. You have a a constant reminder, basically. Yeah, you're looking at your your child who you're going to love your child no matter what, but you're looking at them and be like, you can see the burning buildings and the screaming and hear the screaming when you look at them. You know what I mean? I imagine anyway, but it's just the mental toll that we don't talk about the aftermath of things is just as gnarly sometimes. Yeah. So even to this day right now, there have only been very, very few Japanese soldiers who have come out to publicly apologize and to give their accounts of all the atrocities committed. Very, very few. Like, a handful, maybe like they've come out. Some of them made trips to China where they went. And it's crazy because the Chinese people open them, welcome, uh, welcome them openly. And, you know, because they're admitting to their faults and yeah, fuck you. and stuff like that. But the, the Japanese government themselves uh, has never apologized, let alone acknowledged what happened. And I doubt they ever will because the American government let them get away with all of this in exchange for giving them their science notes and more importantly, promising to never tell the Russians what they know. So a lot of this shit being swept under the rug is a direct result of the cold war and our desire to not have, you know, Lenny Radovich was in charge to <clears throat> get to their hands. So there, there's even a couple of times where the Russians were like, Hey, we'd like to interview those, those Russian science, uh, the Japanese scientists that you, captured and the americans are like we have no reason to stop them so we're like uh yeah yeah come on go ahead but what they did was they secretly flew to japan interviewed them first and then said hey do you have any information that you're going to give to them that we don't know about and also don't don't do that just also don't tell say us a fucking word about yeah any tell us that. what we're tell us we're gonna tell you what to say like tell us what you what you want to tell them and we'll say yes or no and so they did and the the russians never knew that the americans did that so the russians were allowed as a just a peace offering i don't know what it was a olive branch to like yeah you can interview these japanese people they ain't gonna tell you shit but you know you can go ahead and interview them yeah and yep so the the Japanese people, unlike Germany, who did pay for their crimes, um, literally, and you know, with the, the Nuremberg trials and the highly publicized uh, trials of people who were, you know, committed to, I don't know, were they sentenced to death in Nuremberg? I don't remember what their what their thing was. I'm sure some people were, but the Japanese never I had most, that. I think, depending on what the war crime was, yeah, there was a lot of them. Yeah, I think there was a lot of death sentences handed out in Nuremberg, but the Japanese did not have that. They did not have a war trial of their own, even though the atrocities, in my opinion, just as bad, if not worse, honestly. Simply, if you had Nanking into it, not just Unit 731, if you had Nanking into it, they were much worse because what the fuck? Like, you just, 
you get free reign and this is what you do with it. Your unlimited power, you just rape an entire town for six weeks. Well, yeah, I don't it's know. 10 million killed versus 6 million. Yeah, but you're looking, looking at numbers, right? Yeah. But 6 but million the, just in, in, in one <clears throat> over the course, right? That doesn't include. Right. Uh, right. So 10 million is 15 years. I think the 6 million was over six years. It's like a million a year died with that one. I don't remember exactly the numbers, That's but the I know that. Same thing. You yeah. Said. So I know that over the course of 15 years, 10 million Chinese people were were lost their lives because of Japanese oppression, Japanese, uh, I don't even know, anger, their their evilness. I don't even know, man. But a lot of people don't know this, hate. and it's crazy. Like because there's a lot of hate involved. Like we're saying in, saying in the beginning, a lot of people know that, yeah, the Americans fucked over the Japanese American citizens by putting them in internment camps, and we dropped, you know, Little Boy and Fat Man, and that decimated them. But the Japanese are not innocent in the least. Like, I don't know if people know that or not, but I, I just thought before we stop doing this podcast, this is one of the biggest topics that I've ever wanted to talk about. So here we are. And now you guys know the information that I know. Well, Yay. You know what I mean. yeah, go out there and, uh, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Don't experiment on people. Yay. Science. Yeah. Emily. I'm sorry. I just, I don't agree with what they did to do it, but I agree with, I don't agree with non-king. 731 I'm having a real hard time with, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> Non-King is a, here first, people. a mm-hmm. fucking heinous ass bullshit. And those motherfuckers, our dog just knocked an ornament off the tree, sorry. Nice. She's been doing that. That's horrible that that happened, but 731 is also, e- not equally, but it's just just terrible too. Um, But we know a lot of stuff now. and Yeah, um, the- the uh the ss soldiers and the unit 731 together we learned a lot what emily needs to say is thank you 731 (laughs) thank you to the logs and monkeys who gave their lives so we could be alive today and live in a new age of struggle thank you exactly thank you for telling me how many days i can go without food I use That's that on a daily basis. <laughs> daily. I actually never daily, find you out don't. because I use... You don't whenever, go long enough, clearly. I use that yeah, on a two-week basis. <laughs> I usually don't ever get that close. I get hungry. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to eat because yeah. then I won't die for sure. No, I forget to eat. So I yeah, do you do. That. I have to remind you. But yeah, so that Maybe was have a thing on your Rape of Nanking. Tells, uh, tells yeah. me anyway. She doesn't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> the Rape of Nanking and Unit 731. We're going to call this episode, I think, Japanese War Crimes in general. Pretty sure that's yeah. what it's going to be. Um, but yeah, so like I said, uh, we have one more episode. And it's a, it's a story that uh, is very near and dear to me. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, go out with a bang, literally. And um, we have next year. So we have one more episode for this year coming up before Christmas. And then next year we have a whole new show. A whole new, uh, um, a whole new category. World. It's a category. It's a, new, it's a new genre. Of... New. <laughs> no one to tell us no where, where to go. go. This is your teaser. We're gonna start a music group. That we're only dreaming. And I'm clearly the producer. World. Yeah. Don't so. you dare close your eyes. <laughs> so thank you, us. alto and soprano. <laughs> course yeah Yeah. so i hope you guys enjoyed this um war crime episode i know we did i know you did 731 emily did Mm -hmm. um so yeah so again 
we're sad that this is ending, but also we're looking forward to new things and stay tuned for all that. Emily, you want to tell us where to find us? Yeah, um, you can find us on at Bloodthirsty Times on TikTok or Instagram and Facebook at Bloodthirsty Pod on TikTok and Twitter and bloodthirstypod at gmail.com. Yeah, and- we're, we're still going to look at those. Like if you are new to this podcast and you find us after we stopped, you can still send us messages. We'll still get them. But also, you know what? Um, we're going to we post tell them what the new, there. The new thing is? Oh, wait till the next episode. Yeah, okay, wait till we'll the next episode. But either way, look out for a post. Uh, follow our new stuff whenever we post it, please. And uh, we love you. Bye. 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 Love you. Love you. We'll say bye to all the monkeys and logs out there. Yeah. Thank you. What are they? Mut- that. Mutaha? Maruta. Maruta. Maruta.